Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Um, uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, again, we come to you this morning. First of all, just thanking you for what you did in our midst this morning. Father God, that worship time was amazing. Uh, you really spoke to our hearts and you really ministered to needs and, and gave the body an opportunity to love on one another. And, and that is such a beautiful thing, Father, that you are doing in our midst. And, and, and Father, just help us to lean more into that, to really wade deep into that type of relationship, Father. For, for your word says that by this shall the world know that you are my disciples if you have love toward one another. And, and boy, did we have love toward one another today for your glory. And uh, we just ask you to continue the work that you're doing um, as your word is being preached in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing in Luke 15 um, from last week. Excuse me. And it's, it's just part two of God's heart towards sinners. And remember, this all started when uh, tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes complained about the fact that he not only received them, but he ate with them. This is a very intimate type of fellowship. You're going to eat with somebody, dine with them, uh, be in close quarters with them. You are really embracing them. And they just could not understand why he would do so. Um, we're going to start in verse 8. I'm going to do verses 8 through 10 about the lost coin, uh, but primarily um, I'm going to be doing 11 through 32, which will be the, uh, the very familiar passage of the prodigal son. Uh, so let's start in verse 8. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which is lost, which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want to reiterate, it didn't say that there's no joy in heaven for those who don't need to repent. <laughs> All right. So there's joy. It just says that there is great joy in the in the presence of God over the sinner who repents. Now, this is kind of like the sheep in that this woman. How many of you in your life have ever lost money? I don't I don't mean at the casino. I mean, you you had it one second. <laughs> And you don't know where it went. <laughs> the, the, the money's just gone, right? So how many of you lost a dollar? Ten dollars? A twenty? Oh, it's starting to get serious now. <laughs> a fifty? Oh, my goodness. A hundred? Oh, my goodness. I'm not going any higher. All right, I think, <laughs> you know, if you have a thousand dollars, if all of a sudden you got 10 $100 bills, all of a sudden this one of those $100 bills comes up missing, do you just dismiss it? See, I still got nine. I got nine of those babies. I, I don't need that $100 bill. Or do you do what this lady did? I mean, she did a lamp. Today, we'll just turn on the light. We're, we're, you know, we're moving couches, okay? We're, we're flipping mattresses over and everything. You know, we're, we're, we're doing, uh, we're doing an emergency search, right? And we're going to keep searching and keep searching until we find that thing, right? And I, I love the way that it, that it explains, because it's just like we talked about last week. Why? It doesn't make sense to leave the 99 sheep and go after the one. But, but, but we're not talking about practical sense. We're talking about the heart of the shepherd. Right? And, and what he's willing to do in order to find and rescue the lost. 
right? And so that fervor that he goes with, and, and he doesn't, when he found the sheep, he didn't chastise the sheep. He rejoiced that he found it, picked up the sheep, put it over his shoulder, and carried it back home. When we find the lost money, if we ever find the lost money, and if we don't find it, it won't be for lack of effort, right? But when you find the lost money, especially if it's a hundred, you people, you got money. But when you find that lost money, remember how you felt in that moment? All that money you still had in your wallet or in your purse, you know, you didn't miss it. And, and, and it's not that you weren't happy that you had it, but you missed that hundred, that 20, that 50, that 10. You really wanted to find it because every dollar counts, right? Every dollar counts. And I want to convey that as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. Every life counts. Every soul matters. Regardless of where they are at in life, they matter to God. They are a treasure to him. And so if one of them is lost, he's not going to cross his arms and, and, and wish ill will on them. He is going to pursue them and try to woo them back, right? He's going to turn over, move the furniture. He's going to flip over the mattresses. He's going to do whatever he can in order to woo that person back into right relationship with him. That's the heart of God towards sinners. And, and, and when that sinner repents, there is rejoicing. And you know, that should be our heart as well. You hear me? I said, are you hearing me? And so let us move in. Now we've just, we've gone through a story that included an animal. We've gone through a story that included an inanimate object, though valuable, both valuable. Now, now we're going to get into a story that we can relate with another person, another individual, somebody who's made choices, somebody who's had to suffer the consequences of those choices, someone who had a father. who had a brother, who had a mother, who had community that loved him. Let's start off in verse 11 of chapter 15. And and let's look at the story of this individual known as, to us, the prodigal son. And it doesn't name him in here, you know, probably because it doesn't matter, because this is a relatable story. No matter who you are, name doesn't matter. This is about someone's life and the choices that they made. Verse 11 says, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. How many sons? All right. So the prodigal son wasn't an only child. There's two sons in this story. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So he divided to them his livelihood, right? And not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far-off country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, Before I go on with that, uh, I think the writer is wise here to use the word portion here instead of the word inheritance. You know, my understanding of inheritance is that's something that is bequeathed to you from somebody who's passed away. Right. So so the young man, he would have had an inheritance when his father died, but he wasn't willing to wait for an inheritance. Please do not look at this as just selfish greed, though. It's deeper than that. The son's demand tells me that he was done living under the headship of his father. 
I said he was done living under the headship of his father. He'd had enough of his father's rules and way of life. So the son's demand indicates a rebellion against his father's way of life. Are you seeing that? I mean, the inheritance was his eventually, but he wanted it now. So the son's demand indicates a rebellion against his father's way of life and a choice to live according to his own way. How do I know that? Well, verse 13 kind of gives me an indication. And not many days after he got what he wanted, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So, so let's talk about the fact that it'd be one thing if he wanted everything, wanted all of his goods, and he stayed under his father's roof. Or he stayed in the same neighborhood with his father. Or at least stayed in the same community that he grew up with. Because he valued the wisdom that his father could pass down to him. No, no, no. It said he journeyed to a far country. He wanted total independence. He wanted to be separated completely from his father's headship. And so we're talking about rebellion here. Rebellion against his father's rules, against his father's house, against his father's way of life. And he separated himself, isolated himself, not only from his father, but from his family and from the community, the godly community that he was raised up in. How many of you know that's what rebellion will make us do? Sin causes us to isolate, causes us to separate ourselves from God's way, God's will, God's word, from the people of God who might try to hold us accountable, encourage us, and spur us on toward love and good works. No, I want to go my own way. And so I'm going to separate myself from any influence to the contrary. So this isn't just greed here. This is a young man wanting to do his own thing, his own way, and not wanting to go his father's way. It is rebellion against what his father stood for, his father's teachings, his father's approach to life. Are you hearing me? And knowing that, being fully aware of that, the father in this parable consented to the son's demand. The father was under no false illusion. He knew his son was just not asking for his portion so he could do it wisely and just take this money and implement every principle, every truth that his father ever told him. He knew good and well what his son would do. And yet he consented to it. The father in this parable represents our heavenly father. And just like the father respected the free will of his foolish son, God will respect our free will. He gave us a free will, didn't he? And while God wants the best for us, he doesn't want to force us to walk with him in humble obedience. He wants us to choose to. Walk with him in humble obedience. This father in this parable did not want to force his son to walk in obedience with him and to walk in the way that was right and true before God. He didn't want to force it. He wanted him to own that for himself. And so he knew he could impress it on it, press it on him and he could have fought. Cause truth be told, that's why I want to say his portion. Truth be told, those goods didn't belong to the son until the father chose to give them to him. Those were the father's assets. Those were the father's goods. The son wasn't entitled to anything. Lest his father choose to give it to him. And anybody here who's been a parent for any length of time, I don't care if you're a new parent, I don't care if you've been a parent for decades and so forth, you know how hard it is to let your children 
walk tough roads and learn tough lessons. You know how much you want to protect them. And it may frustrate them and they may be mad at you and they may think that you're trying to prevent them from having fun and living life. But your heart is to protect them from the hardships of life. To protect them from choices that you know will result in serious consequences in their lives. They don't see it. They haven't lived enough life to see it. Right? They think they've got the answers to life's tests. And so that's that, that's the rub. That's that dynamic, that frustrating dynamic between parent and child. The child gets to a point into an age to where they are transitioning toward adulthood and they're wanting to establish an independence and, and, and wanting to make some choices and decisions. And you as a parent, you're identifying issues and weaknesses and shortcomings and, and you want to see those things shored up before you can entrust them with those decisions, right? And sometimes we just have to trust God with them and allow God to help them learn those lessons and to make the right decisions and choices because some lessons are just not learned unless you go through the hard knocks of life, right? Uh, I was a bit of a hard knock kind of guy. My mother tried and tried and tried to get through, to get through, to get through, and and I resisted, like the prodigal son, some of what she was trying to teach me. And she was pressing these things because she had made choices, and, and she experienced enough life to know the end of the road that I was traveling. And she tried to use her influence and use her authority and, 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 and tried to dictate or, or, or try to pressure me into doing the right thing and I just was not there. I was not seeing it and after I reached a certain age, I just decided that I'm going to reject that. Maybe that was true in her day. It's not her day anymore. And so, you know, and we even sometimes we even try to righteousness, you know, try to spruce it up. You know, I'm not going to let her fears hinder me from living life, right? Just because she went through that doesn't mean I would go through that. And she's knowing, look, there's nothing new under the sun. There, you know, th th these things have been a major hangup for people throughout time. You will not escape the consequences of your choices, right? And so this father knows this. And as a, from a father's standpoint, you know, it, it just tugs in my heart. That he knows what's going on here. And yet, he is he's stable enough, he's strong enough to, to acquiesce to his son's demand and to allow him to walk that path that he know leads to destruction. Has anybody gotten there yet as a parent? I didn't. <laughs> all right. That's, all right. That, that very few, right? The, <laughs> you know, uh, it is hard, extremely difficult to get there as a parent. And yet the father in this story does exactly that. And let's go on. Let's look at the prodigal son's choices. After he got what he wanted, let's go back to verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. I bet you that was no surprise to the dad. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. So, I'd already alluded to this earlier so I won't beat that horse to death. He separated himself from his father, from his home, from his community, from his country, 
and he journeyed to a far land. A people whose culture did not resemble his. A people who did not serve his God. Uh, 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 you know, in, in isolating ourselves, guess what? When we separate ourselves from our support system, from the authority and headship of our parents, who will be there for us in our time of need, whether we need advice, whether we need resources or whatever, when we do that, guess what? We've isolated ourselves and we don't have that available to us. So he's suffering the consequences of that choice. He's in need and there's nobody there to help him. Not because there's no one that loves him and no one's willing to help him. He's just isolated himself with such distance they're not able to. Okay, and another choice. He took everything that his father gave him and he lived the extravagant life. He spent everything extravagantly. What he wanted, he got. What he wanted to do, he did. Cost did not matter. He spent and he spent and he spent until there was nothing left. He wanted independence. He wanted total separation from his father and from godly community. That's what he got. And he adopted a lifestyle centered around feeding carnal appetites. I'm going to repeat whatever he wanted, whatever his flesh wanted, he gave it. Whatever his flesh wanted to do, he did it. No matter what it cost. You know, the appetites of the flesh are unquenchable. The appetites of the flesh will never be satisfied. As long as you feed it, it will continue to want more and more and more. If you serve those appetites, They will feast until you have nothing left. Are you hearing me? I have experienced that. And I'm sure many of you have experienced that. Who are here today or or with us via uh, Facebook. But your carnal appetites will feast as long as you feed it until you have nothing left to feed it. It will leave you destitute. Leave you wanting. And the only one who can save you in all of that is our, is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? So, so those were his choices. And another consequence, because remember, he's not in the godly community anymore. He's not with his father and family. He's in a far off land. He joined himself to a citizen of that country. So he made himself servant to a citizen of that country. And that person, as his master, sent him into his fields to feed swine. I'm telling you, as a, as, as, as a part of the Jewish community, they didn't mess with swine. That was an offensive thing. That was an unclean animal. And yet here he is. They, they couldn't eat it, much less feed them, be in the pig pen with them and, and caring for these unclean beasts. So he's mired in the muck of the pig pen. Feeding unclean animals. A total departure, you know, from the way of life of his dad. And here he is, brought low. You couldn't get much lower than where he was. Feeding the unclean thing. And 
And he would gladly, now do you know you're low here, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Boy, there's two major issues there. One, nobody gave him anything, so he was in need and no one was willing to provide that need. You would think when he spent extravagantly, there were people who benefited from his foolish spending. But when he was broke and needed help, hey, he wasn't their problem, was he? Wasn't their fault he spent crazy, crazily. But the thing that really speaks to me is that I can't imagine looking at the food that the pigs are eating and being at a point to where you would gladly fill your stomach with that. Has anybody ever gotten that low? I don't know if that means some are afraid to admit it. Yes or no? Has anybody ever been that low? Have you ever wanted what the pigs ate? If you have, I want to talk to you. I want, I want to, I got questions. <laughs> but verse 17 says, he came to himself. When he came to himself, he said, I, I love the logic of his, uh, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the logic of his mindset. He says, how many of my father's hired servants not only have bread enough to eat, uh, I'm expanding it a little bit, not only have bread enough to eat, but they have enough to spare. They have more than they need. And here I am perishing with hunger. I, here's what I will do. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Hmm. So he came to himself. So he's repentant, right? It's a good thing that he realized he sinned not only against his dad, but he sinned against heaven. He didn't just rebel against his father's headship, but he rebelled against the command of God to honor thy father and thy mother, right? And so he's repentant before God and he's repentant before his earthly father. And so that's good. But I want to talk about the rest of that phrase. I want to read that again. Verse 18. Uh, verse, uh, well, verse 18 and 19. He says, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I believe the prodigal son did what many of us often do when we've sinned. Notice here, he adopted the belief in his mind that his failed performance disqualified him of sonship. And oftentimes, we do that same thing. We feel like, oh my gosh, how could I have done this? I am not worthy to be considered a son or daughter of Almighty God. And you know, there is some truth to that. Because none of us are worthy. Right? None of our deeds were righteous enough to be considered Worthy enough to earn sonship or daughtership before God. It's the gift of salvation, right? All of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. 
So, so there is a measure of truth to it. But in this context, this guy is already a son. And I'm going to ask you a question. And don't be afraid to ask, uh, answer it. Sorry. Did he earn sonship? How did he become a son? He was birthed into sonship, right? All right. He was birthed into sonship. And so, and so there, he didn't earn sonship. So he couldn't actually be disqualified of sonship. Are you hearing that? Why would we think we can be disqualified of that which we didn't qualify and could not qualify for in our own strength? In Christ, we were birthed into sonship, into daughtership with God, right? We were born again. And we had to, we had to cooperate with that. We had to humble ourselves. We had to believe the truth. We had to make the profession of faith. And yes, there is an expectation that we walk holy as he is holy. All right? We are expected to show forth the fruit of our salvation and walk circumspectly. But the doing of that doesn't qualify us for sonship, just like the failure to do that doesn't disqualify us. We were qualified through Christ. We were qualified through the cross. We were justified in him. And that let that be a security to you. That this is a great salvation that is on a firm foundation that is unshakable. There is no cracks in this foundation. Christ never failed. Christ can't fail. So the salvation I have in him is unbreakable. Are you hearing me? I can fall short, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm a son. You can fall short if uh, uh, performance-wise, but it doesn't change the fact that you're a son or a daughter of God. And I used to think that this entire statement came from a place of humility. But you know, I've come to realize that his comment came from a place of shame. And there is a difference. It's been alluded to in the um, Conquer series that we've been going through. Uh, Some of the men uh, we're going through in um, our men's ministry. Uh, And I would certainly encourage you guys, we're too Two lessons in, Chuck. Uh, it's not too late to jump in on that, right? Or we can always catch you up. It's about a 10 a week series, right? And so it focuses on, uh, sexual purity, winning that battle, you know, to be, to, to, to be pure and have integrity in that area, to not fall prey to the temptations and lusts that are out there. All right, but we can walk in purity as men of God. And so it, it, it gives us a, a blueprint for how we can overcome where we've been snared and how we can walk in victory and conquer that issue as men. Because it is an issue that we've got to address. It's an issue that we're going to have to confront. It's an issue that we're going to have to uh, 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 conquer. Are you hearing me? But his response was in shame. Humility, I believe, causes you to acknowledge your sin and repent in faith, securing your relationship with Christ. Shame makes us feel worthless and tempts us to forfeit our relationship with God. His shame was motivating him to give up his birthright of sonship. He was birthed in as a son, but in his shame, and I, you know, I can hardly blame him, but in his shame, he was speaking out of his shame when he's like, you know what? Surely after all I've done, there's no way my father would take me back. 
I wouldn't take me back. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to him with this appeal and, and say, I'm not even coming to you. I don't even expect sonship or the benefits thereof. I'm just simply coming to you to make myself available to you as a servant. And, and I, the reason I want to point that out is I would, I would encourage you not to adopt such a mentality to where you're approaching God and with an attitude of, you know what? I, I, I'm not even, I'm not even approaching you as a daughter. I'm not even approaching you as a son. I'm just going to, uh, approach you, just, just let me work for you. How many of you know that God's not satisfied with that? He doesn't want you to just work for him. All right? He, he wants you to be in relationship with him. Right? He wants to be in intimate fellowship with you. You matter more to him than what you can do for him. And, and I, I want to emphasize that you matter more to God than what you can do for God. He is your heavenly father. And as a father, I can say the same things to my daughters. I have I, I have beautiful daughters. I have very talented daughters. I have amazing children. And they are capable of doing so many things. But if they could do none of them, I would still proudly call them my daughters. And I would imagine, and I, I not even imagine, I know for darn sure that every parent in here feels the same way. And so I want you to project that same confidence toward God because he is perfection when it comes to fatherhood. Right? And so, if that's how we feel, how much more does God feel that way, right? If you could do nothing, if you were talentless, if you, if you were blind, uh, deaf, mute, uh, quadriplegic, and, 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 and brain dead, God would still be proud to call you his son or his daughter. And so, his love for us his pride of being our dad is not based on our performance. And so he would not reject us when our performance doesn't measure up. Are you, are you, are you getting that? So let's not approach him in shame. Let's approach him in humility. Own our sins. Confess our sins. And it says, First uh, John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That's the heart of our father. Now let's go on to the father's response. Uh, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, exactly what he practiced. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put out and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So the father in this parable despite the sinful performance of his son, never viewed him as anything less than his son. Hallelujah. 
I, I can tell you, <laughs> after just talking about eloquently about how much I love my girls and so forth, and I tell you what, I don't know if me and Mrs. Cannon, we would eventually get there, all right? The kill the fatty calf or whatever. We, we'd go to Walmart and buy one that's already been killed, and we'd have a good time and everything, but we probably would have an intense moment of fellowship before we got to that point. <laughs> but he goes right into just celebrating what mattered to him was that this son was astray this son was lost this son was dead and now he's back in the fellowship all right. He's got him back. He repented and he's come back. And so I have my son back is the only thing that mattered to him. And, and I get it now, you know, with God, the reason why he's he's commissioned us go out, go out into the field, be laborers in the field. There are prodigals out there that I am that I'm wanting to be reconnected with or connected with for the first time. There are prodigals out there that I am pursuing, that I want to be back in relationship with. They need me. They don't realize it right now, but they need me. They're not looking for me right now, but they need me. They're not walking with me right now, but that doesn't change the fact that I sent my son Jesus to die for them. And it doesn't change the fact that I love the lost just as much as I love the found. As much as I love those who are in the flock, I do not love any less those that are strayed from the flock. All right? My desire is to bring them into the fold, bring them back. You know, bring them into the fold for the first time or to bring them back. And they will have already suffered some natural consequences of their actions, right? And, and, and scripture does say that God chastens those whom he loves. So, so a lot of that chastening happens in the midst of their sinful ways. And there will be residual, no doubt from a lot of that stuff and it's going to take work for them to break free of those entanglements but by the grace of God they will be free of those entanglements and they will be made whole again right and let that be our desire let us let our hearts sync up with the heart of God and that when we see those that are out there that whether they've never known God or whether they are prodigals who have strayed away from God, whatever they are, let us have the heart of God toward them. Let us see them as those sheep that have strayed that God's heart is longing to be reconnected with. The stray sheep, the lost coin, the lost son that God is pursuing. The lost, and that son is not just God, son or daughter, the prodigal son or daughter, that, that God's heart is for them. And he longs for them to be back in right fellowship with him. So despite his simple performance, the father never viewed him as anything less than his son, and the father made it clear that sonship would not be revoked because of performance. And as I said at the beginning of the message, that makes sense when you consider the fact that sonship wasn't gained by performance. We are either birthed or adopted into sonship. Uh, Galatians, 1, Galatians 4, real quick. Galatians 4. Uh, I'm just going to read the read through the first seven verses talking about sonship through Christ. And I, I pray that you see this as 
both sonship and daughtership. It's all under the umbrella of sonship. We're all children of God. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption, say adoption, as sons. Because you are sons, you are sons, you are daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son or daughter. And if a son or daughter, then you are an heir of God through Christ. You're an heir through what? Through who? Through Christ. Uh, let's finish up and let's go uh, to verse 25. I want to talk briefly about the other son. Because he said he had two sons. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field. So he's in the field working when all this goes on. He's oblivious to what has just transpired. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So they're bringing the house down. All right. He, so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not, just imagine, he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet, you never gave me a young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, then he's not even his brother right now. All right? He's not his brother. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You know, we can, we can devolve into some meism real quick, can't we? You know, we can quickly put ourselves as far as the, put ourselves in the center of the universe, of our universe, and only look at things based on how it impacts us, or at least our perception of how it impacts us. I get it. He's looking at himself. Now, now notice, he's looking at his brother's performance compared to his performance. So, so just like his brother, they both have a performance mindset. The other brother now, on the, he's on the other side, having failed to live up to it, he, he approached his father, based on my performance, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I'm just willing to work for you. His brother is like, based on his performance, I agree. We shouldn't be celebrating him. You know, we should be tarring and feathering him. And as a matter of fact, if anybody should have had the fatty calf killed for him, look at my pedigree. Look at my performance. You know, that fatty calf should have been mine. We should have been celebrating my faithfulness. What did he do that deserved that? If we're not careful, we'll slip into that mindset, won't we? How many times have we waxed hot against somebody else's shortcoming uh, and, and, and we justified our own? 
Don't, don't, don't admit it. I'm not trying to get you to out yourself on that. I'm just trying to get you to think. But the brother, the big brother was faithful. You know, he is to be commended for that. But the error of his thinking is that is thinking, the error of his thinking is this. He feels like he earned something based on his performance. He was birthed in the sonship too, right? And because he felt he was entitled to something, that he earned this, he put himself in the in the shoes of his father. You know, it's not up to him to determine what siblings are worthy and what siblings aren't. It's not up to him to determine, you know, whose performance is up to par and whose performance isn't. It is the father's to determine that. Are you hearing me? It is the father, that, that, that's the father's authority to do so. Okay? Because both of these sons are his. All right, and if he wants to love on his son that didn't measure up, why should you be mad at that? And can you not check your heart? You had your brother could have could have been killed for all you knew. He's back, and you're so judgmental toward him, you can't even join the party and rejoice that he has repented and that he has come back to the fold. All right, if we can't do that then we need to examine our hearts. Are we secure in our salvation based on the cross? And we realize that that is, uh, that, that is by grace through faith, not of work, lest any man should boast. Or have we gotten to a point to where we're getting our confidence in, in the fact that we're on a pretty good run right now? Be careful. Let us not think of ourselves too highly unless we fall. Are you hearing me? But I see a consistent, you know, I just wanted to point that out. He is still a brother, but he is looking at it based on performance. And remember, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees who had a problem with him fellowshipping and dining with publicans and sinners so this story is speaking to that issue let's not forget that the context in which it is being delivered and so the pharisees and sadducees they're being the big brothers they're faithful to the to the old testament law they're faithful in those things but they've also turned it into something that it wasn't never intended to be because they are observing the law and, and, and it's strictly observing the law, they've ascribed their righteousness to themselves that is not theirs to give. It's a self-righteousness that is not to, theirs to bestow upon them. They have considered themselves as the preferred sons of God and everybody else are the prodigals that are not worthy to be the sons and daughters of God. And, and, and he's, he's using this story to tell them you're wrong in that. That what you're doing, I see how you got there, but it is not the heart of the God you serve. And are we not his representatives? Are we not his servants? Are we not his ambassadors? If any heart should be projected from us, it should be the heart of our God. Not our personal feelings or perspectives towards, to, towards others. But this father loves on this son just like he loved on the prodigal son. It's almost as if his two sons were in the same place, just on, it's like two sides of the same coin, basically. And he killed a fatty calf and celebrated the return of his younger son. And he could have come out and he could have lit into his older son. But he doesn't. He comes out. After getting word, hey, your son's out there, and man, he's in a mood. 
He does not agree with how you have, how well you've received his prodigal brother and the celebration that you have started. And he doesn't cross his arms and say, well, that's his problem. When he gets over himself, he'll come in here and join or so what? No, you know, I, I glossed over it and uh, I apologize for this feeling disjointed as a result, but I wanted to do it back then, but I'll do it now. Notice that the father, when he saw the prodigal son on the road, a far way off, he didn't wait with crossed arms and make him come all the way to him and grovel. He ran out to him. You know what that tells me? That tells me I get the impression of a father who every day with hopeful expectation was looking down that road, praying to God, hoping and expecting for his son to return. He never stopped. He never stopped looking for him. He never stopped hoping. He wasn't like the shepherd. You know, sheep are not the brightest animals, right? And the sheep is not going to correct course. It doesn't have a, a internal GPS that recalculates and finds the flock. If it's lost, it's going to stay lost, right? And so the shepherd is going to have to go find that thing and bring it back. But this father continued to let the son walk out what he decided to walk out and give him time to flesh that whole thing out and, and, and to come to his senses, to come to himself. He didn't know when it would happen. He didn't know what day, but he continued to hope that one day Maybe he would have to be brought low. Maybe he'd have to encounter some kind of severe hardships. But one day, my prayer is that he will come to himself and that he will come back to me. Every day. And, and, and he, I, I believe he faithfully did that every day so that when that day finally came, he was ready. He was not going to wait. He was not going to sit there and be bridled. He wasn't going to stay cooped up. He ran to his son and embraced him. And you know what? He may not have had to run as far, but he did the same thing to his oldest son right there. He left the party, left the celebration, found out that his older son's heart was hard toward his brother and that he was offended by what his dad had done. And the father came out to him and he said these wonderful words, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. You know, I gave the little son, the younger son, his portion. Everything I have is yours. But he doesn't mince words. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. And regardless of how he got himself to that dead or lost state, he repented and came to himself and we've received him back again. That is worthy of being celebrated. That is worthy of killing the fatty calf and 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 and, uh, and, and jubilant celebration, it's worthy of that. Because his return wasn't guaranteed. He may have chosen to come to himself, but in his low moment, I believe the faithful prayers of his dad. God, you know what? God was wooing him and God spoke to him. God moved on his heart. God dealt with him in the low lowness and the mire of his muck, of the muck of that pig pen, right? And so in that low point in his life, it could have gone sideways really quickly. 
He could have made a different choice. And, you know, I'm not going to say thus saith the Lord, but I believe at the beginning, the way his father handled it and allowed him to walk that way out, you know, it went a long way towards his decision when he would, when he came to himself. It didn't say that he thought about his community. It didn't say he thought about family. It didn't say he thought about, he thought about his father. That father that for in some strange way, some strange way of looking at it, loved him enough to let him go. And discover for himself what the father in his own heart knew. Right? And so that is, I tell you what, boy, that is, uh, I'm not sure I've gotten there yet. Uh, pray for me to get there because <laughs> I have three adult daughters and and, and, and another one that will soon get there. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, I, I, I'm not there yet in my mind. I'm not there yet. But I do my best. Uh, by the grace of God, we as parents need to grow. That's part of our growth in our walk with the Lord is to get to a point where we can do what this man did uh, with his prodigal son. Trust God. Trust God with what we've invested in them. Trust God with the heart of our children and that he has a plan and a purpose for them. And that uh, that plan and purpose for them will come to pass. They may make some choices that will divert them off the right path for a while, but that God, it is encouraging to me that God will pursue them and, 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 and he, will, he, he will pursue them and he will woo them back onto that right path and that they will. And in that moment where they come to themselves, they'll willingly walk with him in obedience in a way that they were rebellious toward him before. I'm going to ask you to stand. I love the father's response with both sons. And, and I'm just going to ask you to think about who you relate to in this story. If there is a particular individual, whether it's the father, whether it's the oldest son or the youngest son, and, and, and what part of this story really ministers and speaks to you the most? And I believe God has already done a, a tremendous work in ministering to us here. And so I just, I just wanted to challenge you and, can, and encourage you to see the heart of God. Um, like I said last week, we live in a, in a time where uh, people who are not like us or who think differently than that we do or who have uh, different political ideologies and, and, and come from different demographics and everything, it's easy to see the differences in one another and to vilify the other as, you know, as not being one of us and all of that other stuff. But you know what? Our identity in Christ supersedes our identity in all those other areas. And we're going to have to decide who it is that we are going to identify with over everything and everyone else. And, 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 and that's who it is that we are called to represent. And so our choices are going to have to reflect that. Our attitudes are going to have to reflect that, Right? Our actions are going to need to reflect that because we are ambassadors for him. Father God, we just thank you for speaking to us your truth. Uh, and Father God, I just thank you that you are speaking to our hearts and that you are convicting us even now. Father God, where we are struggling concerning your heart towards sinners, whether it be fellow believers who have gone astray or those who have not yet become believers. Uh, thank you that you're convicting us in our hearts toward them. Father, may your heart concerning them become our heart concerning them. May you, we just ask you for the grace 
to see them as your prodigal sons and daughters whom you are looking down that road, down that path, expecting them to come to themselves and come to you. And, and, and Father, to that extent, may we be your hands. May we be your feet. May we be your vessels of honor to go out and reach those people where they're at. May the self-righteous among us or self-righteous out there look at us and see us fellowshipping with and dining with those publicans and sinners and, and, and criticize us in the way that they criticize Christ because we are following after the example of our Lord and Savior. And may we not be discouraged in that effort. May we continue to walk with you in that way and, and, and be humbly used by you in, in, in your uh, process of leading the lost to repentance and back in right fellowship with you. Father, we just trust you and we just, we yield that to you and, and, and we give our hearts to you in that way and, and, and say, use us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you all. Um, uh, anyone who uh, wants to talk along those lines, uh, 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 privately, I'm available, uh, here. Uh, anyone needs, uh, prayer, uh, I invite you, uh, to come and, uh, I'll minister to you as the Lord leads. And God love you. God bless you. God bless you as you go.